Hey, everybody. Welcome to ESPN Esports on Twitch. This is the Rift Rewind, our ESPN League of Legends program. Arda, Jacob, Tyler, Emily with you for the next hour and a half or so. We have a lot to talk about. As you know, the LCS and LEC will resume play this weekend. It's the beginning of the summer split. That's going to be the second half of our program as we break down all the big changes that have happened up until now, give you a little bit of a season preview in the LEC and LCS. But we definitely have to start with a major retirement in the LPL. In all of League of Legends competitive, I'm talking about Uzi. Uzi calling it quits after an illustrious career that spanned multiple championships, the famed bot laner for Royal Never Give Up, uh, MSI champion in 2018, multiple-time LPL champion, really leaves a strong legacy, Emily, uh, in the LPL and in League of Legends competitive. Uh, but when you think back on uh, Uzi's career, as we dive into this for the next while here, uh, what, what's really the first thing that comes to mind for you? Um, I mean, I think I, I wrote about this in my, like, kind of farewell to Uzi, but I think what he really did more than anything else was give the LoL Pro League a face to the international audience. Because, like, I, I can't stress enough how, how much of a, like, just general major sport League of Legends is in, in China, and we don't always get to see that, uh, from our perspective. And I think a lot of people uh, didn't didn't realize how big the LPL was, and they didn't realize the LPL kind of existed at all outside of a kind of very nebulous, like, oh, yes, they also play League of Legends in China, and, like, here are their teams. And the one exception was Uzi, because he qualified for two Worlds Finals back-to-back in 2013-2014. And he was such a like, strong individual player with such a strong personality and really required uh, for the beginning of his career and arguably for all of it, but I think he did uh, he did become more of a flexible player as his career went on, and he himself has said this uh, through multiple interviews on how he grew and matured not only on the rift but off of it as a person uh, in regards to how he communicated with his teammates. But um, he, he gave the LPL face, right, to the international audience, and I think... Like, one of the things that we now talk about, the LPL being the best league in the world based on their international results at the past two world championships, that actually started with UZI in 2018 when uh, he won his first LPL championship after trying for five years and uh, went on to win the midseason invitation. That started China's international dominance. Like, you know, not streak, because obviously G2 won uh, last year's midseason invitational, but it did start this idea that China is one of, if not the best league in the world, and you're going to have to face up to that. And that also started with UCI. So for me, like in all aspects, from just giving the LPL a face, uh, giving it a like familiar player that everyone kind of gravitated towards all the way back in 2013, and then starting this whole idea that China, not South Korea, was the now the strongest region in the world, that also started with UZI. So when I when I think of him, I always think of how he opened up the LPL to every, like the international audience, if that makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely I think of him like that too in terms of being a funnel. I think for a lot of us who have been uh, fans of the LPL for a long time and watchers of the LPL, even before Riot sort of got involved with English Cast uh, at first party, right back back when Kelsey Moser and uh, and Proskurin were sort of doing it out of their apartment in Chicago uh, with LPL English. Like this is someone that you were always interested in watching and. Yeah, you know, one moment, and I know we're going to break down some, but something not game-related that I, I sort of personified sort of what he was relative to athletes in the rest of the world and in China is he was a part of the Shut Up and Dribble campaign, the LeBron mm-hmm. James Nike campaign. Yeah. Uh, he he uh, had a shirt <laughs> that was made by Nike that it was, it was his, and he modeled for Nike, and you're just like, wow. You know, like we, we saw, like, Faker on Coke cans at one point in South Korea, and, like, we can break that down a little bit while we talk about those two guys and how they sort of both got their, their hot start in the same year. Um, but for me, like, uh, Faker is to Korean esports what Uzi is to, to Chinese esports in terms of being this icon, uh, above, above all else. And I think that really that like him stepping away and I know that he talked about sort of his health, which has started a whole different conversation. He said that he was diagnosed as a diabetic and, um, he, he's also talked about how sort of his lifestyle was relatively unhealthy as he worked to achieve, uh, success within league. Um, but that started a whole nother conversation. And I think with someone being that big, it's even more impactful that he sort of was open and honest about that as well. He, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, he was plagued with injuries throughout his career. And of course he retired in June and Tyler, he was speaking of his popularity and how famous he is in China. Uh, and someone mentioned this in chat. Uh, he was the 2019 Weibo Person of the Year. And when I say yeah. that, I'm not saying esports person of the year. I'm saying person. Every realm, every genre, Uzi Eye is selected. I mean, that how, yeah. how does that even happen for somebody who plays League of Legends? And I, I'm not dismissing it as, as as diminutive. I'm just saying, like, this is incredible that... Somebody who plays video games is selected as a person of the year on a giant platform in a particular country that happens to have a billion people. Yeah, I mean, there's it, it really is the whole new face of a generation, right? Or the face of a new generation where that was a fan vote. It was fans voting for Uzi Eye, kind of showing the the fan power he has. His announcement video where he announced his, you know, he had a 15-minute interview with one of the Chinese state media television networks over in China. There was posted on Weibo, and in under three hours, it had over 12 million views. So just to kind of, like, wow. put out how big he yeah. is. He, his goodbye message, I believe, had over 2 million likes in less than three hours. It was shared over a million times in that time frame. It was huge news. And the as some, I'm different from Emily and Jacob, where they come from or the LPL side. I've always been an LCK person. I've been reporting on LCK since 2013, since the res of Faker. I've, you know, me and Faker, you know, I've written a lot about him. I've always been on the opposite side of, you know, Emily and Jacob and that kind of, uh, uh, the relationship where the first time I really talked to Uzi and the first time I really met him was at the 2016 World Championship in San Francisco in the group stages. And I remember I was still, you know, very new to doing, like, the whole glitz and glamour of, you know, doing an esports event. It was my first year at ESPN. And I remember that Uzi, he did the Chinese media. If you don't know, there's so much Chinese media at World Championships that they're not allowed to do one-on-one interviews. Because if they were allowed to do one-on-one interviews, it would take way too much time. So all the Chinese media at Worlds are basically put in a big 
like pit of press, and they have to do interviews all together at once. So Uzi had to do like a scrum. A scrum. So yeah, he yeah. he did he did a thirty or like a thirty or four minute scrum because he's that popular in wow. front of like very hot stage lights with the media for forty minutes for Chinese media. Then he did Travis Gafford for another twenty minutes. So it's been an hour of him interviewing, and I'm supposed to interview him, interview him last. And by the time he's done with his Travis, he is pouring sweat. He is literally. Like, it looks like he's about to faint. All the media, like, all of, like, the PR reps for Riot are rushing over to him, like, trying to bring him water and trying to, like, calm him down because he is red as a tomato. He looks like he's about to pass out. And I'm just like, please, you don't have to do my interview. Like, I don't, like, if if you faint, like, if you faint during my interview, like, I'm, this is not going to be good. It's not going to be good. China will not be happy with me. So I'm just like, no, please go, like, please, like, it's okay. Like, you don't have to do an interview. But Uzi, look, like, he he talks to the translator, and he's like, I want to do this interview. Please let me do this interview. I want to do this. I'm good. I Give me some water. I can do this. And he sat down with me for 20 minutes, and we just talked for 20 minutes doing this interview. And even though he was uncomfortable, he's pouring sweat. He's drinking water. He looks like he's on the, the verge of tears. He still went through it. And that was the day I was like, this guy's like, I have utmost respect for Uzi for the rest of my career because oh, we all know as journalists, it's it can be difficult at times to get players to open up or even wanting to do interviews. We've all been declined before. We've all had times where interviews are just going to, you know, snake out of an interview being like, eh, yeah, we've agreed to it, but I'm going to leave now. Sorry, uh, I don't feel like doing it. But yep. the fact that he sat, uh, he literally was on the verge of fainting and still did that interview, it, it's remarkable. And I that memory still sticks to me to this day. And he's an incredible guy, incredible guy, incredible talent, and an incredible interview. That's a great story. Uh, just a side note to that. Also, as journalists, can you imagine all the Chinese media, how they oh, were yeah. feeling when they saw you and Travis getting the only one-on-one interviews, though? Like, oh, it, just think it, of, put, put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. It's like, man, we just did a scrum and we didn't get any one-on-one time. And then that's, you come Travis. That's every <laughs> world. It sucks. It sucks, right? Like, but that's every world. Just, you know, pulling back the current of it, that's every world championship. Yeah. Me and Emily and Jacob have all been to worlds a bunch of times because there are so much... Just because it's so big in China, they will there will be 30, 40, 50 reporters from China, from different TV wow. networks and websites yeah, and there just for worlds. At quarterfinals in 2016, I, I like was we were in this giant tent. I think Emily was there actually. Uh, also, if you remember, like half the tent was Chinese media and the rest was everybody else from the rest of the world. Korea, <laughs> Korea, Korean, North American, European, et cetera. Like, but literally half this giant tent was was nothing but Chinese media, and so, the rest of us were kind of like put in a corner together. That's that's hilarious. That's hilarious. That's where well, I met PDD. I, clearly, who? That's where I met PDD. I don't oh, know nice. if he was there as media, but like Scar and I just randomly met him because he was hanging okay. out with the Chinese media. So so back to to, to Uzi I. So Emily, like when he came onto the scene, I mean he's had a long career, right? And I'm wondering, like, what will he be remembered from an in-game perspective? What will he be remembered for in terms of his impact and and what he brought to the game and his approach to the game? What will he be remembered for? I mean, I think uh, so in China, um, for anyone that tuned into like that one time I made you guys watch IPL five finals with me. Uh, like, I loved it. Uh, <laughs> Wei Xiao is kind of known as like the godfather of 80 carries or whatever, right, for modernizing the position as we know it. Um, back in season two, uh, like end of season one, beginning of season two, I think is really when he, like his play style kind of came up and started. But, uh, 
I think Uzi I will be remembered as the like aspirational bot laner in China for literally every other bot laner that comes up. Like if you look at um I know uh Kelsey Moser has talked about this, I believe, uh with in, in regards to Clear Love, where you have so many junglers who are coming up the the Chinese uh, solo queue ladder, like Tian was one uh, from FPX last year, where he's like, I saw Clear Love and like I knew I wanted to be a jungler, right? And I know Tyler's talked to like players like Yukal, where they're like, oh, I saw Faker and I really, I knew then, like I saw Faker live and I knew I wanted to be a mid laner, I knew I wanted to do this. And Uzi I is that uh, for for bot laners to like for general League of Legends players as well as well, but for bot laners especially, like I think he really set the tone for how LPL bot lanes behave. And LPL bot lanes, for people that aren't familiar with them or haven't heard Doublelift talk about them or haven't heard anyone else talk about <laughs> going up against an LPL bot lane, they are known for their constant aggression. And by that, I don't mean they're, like, always skirmishing, but they are fighting you over every CS. Like, they will sometimes yeah. ignore the wave just to auto-attack you. And that is something that you you pretty much like not only see from LPL bot lanes, but I think it is been established as like the two V two play style for LPL bot lanes. Right. Uh, until like a little bit more recently when you saw like a lot more roaming supports, but even then, like this is what LPL bot lanes are known for. And I think in game that really did start with Uzi. I, and you see a lot of these bot laners coming up. who are like, I want to be like Uzi. I, I want to play like Uzi. I, this kind of like very, uh, aggressive fight over every CS, fight over every minion. That that kind of started with him, um, and and you see it in Jackie Love. You see it in iBoy. You see it in like if you're looking at younger up and coming AD carries. You see it in Wuxi. You see it in uh, Huan Feng. Like you see it in all of these players where they're just really willing to fight over everything. And I'm not saying that's necessarily always the best decision, but I do think that aggression started with UZI and it's something that's been incredibly successful for Chinese AD carries following. Um, and that is really where I think he's like made his mark as the default Chinese AD carry alongside Wei Xiao. Cause I do still think people think of Wei Xiao as like, the person who started it all, but Uzi is the one that like honed that that play style. But I feel like there's a generational difference there to your point though, right? Yeah. Like very few people that watch Modern League of Legends probably ever got to see Wei Zhao play a game. <laughs> right? Like there's been so much fan turnover since really even like season four and season five, I've met people who didn't get to watch those, which is not that long ago, only like six or uh, you know, five or six years ago. Um there's been so much turnover, I feel like Uzi, because of how long his career has been from 2013 to present, right, a seven-year career, and and he's had so much international success pretty consistently, even just appearing at Worlds, right, like has had so much international success over such an extended period of time. And to what we were mentioning earlier was, like, it was kind of in the right place at the right time, and obviously he was a part of this, but, like, as the LPL went from being sort of the region that, like, the nerds like Emily and myself would stay up and watch at night, like, to sort of the premier region of League of Legends. Like, he was there the entire time that was happening, right? Like, and he became the icon. So I think, like, that reach to Emily's point about him being sort of, like, the AD carry to look to, I think that extends even far farther past China. If you look at players like Perks just talked about this when he first made the swap from mid to AD carry originally, wanting to be like Uzi, and 
the the same thing for others like upset and others that are younger too right like they aspire to be like uh uzi I and like forgiven and some of these other guys who are like hyper aggressive you know very very straightforward rather than passive farm bot laners so i think generally like that reach he he's sort of a product of circumstance but certainly he's part of the reason that china became so successful in the end anyway yeah, when I talk to bot leaners, I mean, again, like, I brought up Doublelift because I feel like he brings up Uzi I in, like, every conversation when you ask him, like, who does he watch uh, outside of, um, outside of you know, his own region. And I think the the big thing is that Uzi I also set this trend with other LPL bot leaners that if you want to watch strong 2v2s only, you watch LPL bot lane perspectives. Like, regardless of who it is, obviously everyone always want, wanted to watch UZI because he was known as the best. But, like, this also started the trend of LPL bot lanes are insane in the 2v2. They will fight you. If you want to see bot lane micro, watch LPL bot lanes. And that also, yep. I think, in my opinion, started with him. Tyler, uh, before we go on, we asked all three uh, of you to pick a specific moment in UZI's career. And we're going to go into that. But, Tyler... When you look back on Uzi's career, the one thing he was not able to do, especially for someone of his magnitude, is win at Worlds. He did win an MSI. He did win a few LPL titles. But that Worlds championship eluded him. So when you look back on it from a championship perspective, do you put him in that Charles Barkley category? Or do you say, you know what, he had domestic uh, success. He has the MSI success. And so we see him as a champion at the end of his career. As a Charles Barkley or Edward Charles or a Dan Marino who never won a championship, he did win MSI, he did win, uh, you know, two LPL titles in 2018. But I do think that it does put him out of the conversation. He can never be the GOAT. Like, he, the, he, like right now, if we talk about the GOAT conversation, like, it's pretty much League of Legends is one of the only sports slash esports in the world where you can't have a GOAT conversation. If you say anyone other than Faker, you should be laughed at and pointed at and kicked out of the door because there's no conversation about it. And we're going to talk about, you know, in our upcoming favorite memories, that, you know, the Faker-Uzi rivalry, if a few things go differently in those timelines, Uzi might be, maybe I'd be calling Uzi the greatest of all time. If a few things change, a few little moments in history go Uzi's way, we might be calling him the GOAT. But because of what happened, and we're going to talk about it, he will be remembered as one of the greatest of all time. I don't, right now, he, I would say he's the greatest... AD carry of all time, you know, Bang still out there. You know, he has an argument. I would put Uzi over him, but he's still, you know, Bang is still playing, so he can't really put a bow on that conversation just yet. But Uzi will definitely go down as a top 10 player all time. And he left the door open that maybe if, you know, if his health comes back, if he can find a way back and he feels in a right mindset to come back, he will return and play again. So I don't think his chapter is entirely closed, but right now I would say he's definitely top five all time. I think top three. I think you would say the top three right now are Faker, definitely in one, and then either Uzi or Mata is number two. And you can have that conversation all day who's better between Uzi and Mata, you know, former bot lane partners on RNG. I think well, I think that he would be uh, like a, a Peyton Manning, a Peyton Manning to Tom Brady, right? Like one one is championships is certainly like a high level top one hundred quarterback of all time in football, but is is sort of like yeah, Baker's over here stealing the the spotlight if you want to compare him to to Tom Brady because he's just been so repeatedly successful over a long period of time. But you see, in that comparison, Faker would then have to come to NA at the end of his career. Hey, unfortunately, it's not a free app. And he's the Bucks. 
I mean, T1 has a you know a, an NA Valorant team, so you never know. <laughs> yeah, according you to your know. fantasy draft, he would be perfectly fine on that team. Yeah, Faker and Brax, baby. Emily, uh, you were saying? Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think the, like, to touch on something that we kind of kicked this conversation off with, UZI did say that if his health improves, if he is able to treat uh, the diabetes a lot better with diet and exercise and medication, that he would think of coming back. But I think that in and of itself is kind of the saddest thing for me is that, like, we didn't, not, not, not only the world's thing, but, like, he didn't get to go out on his terms, right? And that's always frustrating, despite the fact that we kind of saw this coming, like anyone who watched LPL Spring and the fact that Uzi didn't come back, and this is the first time that he hasn't, right? Typically, you always look at RNG and you're like, okay, they're giving him rest at the beginning of the the season, right? And then everything was disrupted by COVID, so he's going to get more rest, et cetera, et cetera, but he'll inevitably come back for playoffs because he always does, and then he didn't, and they played with Betty the entire time. And um, that was kind of a harbinger of what was to come in terms of his retirement. And the fact that it was due to injury and health-related issues just really stinks and also points to, you know, how young he was when he started playing and how, like, unchecked, I think, some a lot of this stuff went until um, until probably, I would say, like, 2016-ish when when teams really started to figure out like giving players better medical access and he was probably being a little bit more honest about his own injuries and and stuff like that, you know? So um, that to me is kind of the, not to like end on a downer note, but like that's kind of the saddest part to me. Right. So I hope like there is some sort of, you know, uh, way that he, he can return if it's not too uh, painful and, or like too, uh, you know, bad for his health because it does stink to see someone so talented have to go out due to something like this rather than, you know, just not wanting to play anymore, feeling like it's your time. Like, it's very obvious from his retirement interview, he did not feel like it was his time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that kind of sucks. Well, in era number one, as as we can call it for Uzi, he played 567 games. He had a 60.5% win rate. Anyone want to guess what his most played champion was in his career? I know, Lucian, I know, Trinidad's usually Lucian, Lucian. Ezreal. Ezreal. Uh, Ezreal was 60, that's second. Severe was number one with 63. Highest KDA with 6.33. And that's a precursor to trivia, which we normally do every single Friday night. Uh, If you feel like playing trivia with us, everybody in chat is welcome to join, and we do it in real time. That's Friday nights on this very channel at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, We asked all three of you to pick a particular clip, highlight, moment in Uzi Eye's career. Uh, We will go Jacob, Tyler, Emily in that order. So, Jacob, which... Uh, highlight did you pick from Uzi's career? So a lot of people may look at the box score on this and say that it was a wash, which it was. Um, but there's a little bit more symbolism, especially reflecting on the 2013 World Finals in Los Angeles at the Staples Center, which was the first time we saw Uzi and Faker play against one another. And both of them were rookies. Those those were their first full seasons of year in 2013 after joining uh Royal uh Star and Royal Club and uh SK Telecom T1 uh the the winter prior um in both instances and I think obviously like T1 was a team that kind of just ran through that and and demolished them and we saw that happen to Uzi again in 2014 as well against uh Samsung White but there's a little bit of symbolism there that 
you know, for the first time ever, we saw these two guys in their respective regions in China and in South Korea that really, like, we didn't know what we were watching, right? Like, we knew that SK Telecom T1 was great. We knew that Star Horn Royal Club was relatively great, too. But we didn't understand that two of the players back then that we were watching would go on to change the game in the way that both of them respectively have, as we have just mentioned. Um, and I think, you know, rewatching some of that before this, uh, before this episode we are uh, streaming right now of this show, like, it, there's something really special there. Um, because both of them, if you look like, they both looked in- incredibly so young, uh, which is sort of like interesting having seen them in person over the years too. Um, but now I, I think for them, you know, like, they are not, they're veterans now and, and they weren't then and, and just sort of their success is sort of, uh, it takes you back when you think about their careers uh, overall, and and this was sort of the beginning um, for me. Was was this final, uh, albeit uh, Royal got ran over, and and you can say say all you what you want about it, but nonetheless, like that that World Championship is really a turning point moment for a lot of people, and I think it was a turning turning point uh, in an era of League of Legends, uh, which these two guys sort of championed. I also think when it comes to that final, I think these two players, Faker and Uzi, they both transcended their regions. I think a lot of early esports was very nationalistic, where it's like, I'm going to watch until, you know, the Westerners are in the tournament. When the Westerners fall out, I'm not watching anymore. Someone from coming from StarCraft, that was very prevalent for a lot <laughs> of tournaments, where it's like, okay, I'm going to watch for Ha, I'm going to watch for Idra, I'm going to watch for Jinro. And then when those guys go out in, like, the first round, and it's, you know, all South Korean players left, it's like, okay, I don't care about these guys, don't care. I think having Uzi and Faker, both of these prodigies, rise up at the same time during this kind of boom for League of Legends, first real world championship in the Staples Center, an iconic arena, you have these two players that kind of transcended their regions, where it became a thing of, like, it didn't matter if they were Chinese, South Korean, Brazilian, North American, European, it didn't matter. These two players kind of transcended all of that, and people saw these two players as just amazing League of Legends players. And we've seen them both transcend that as the years gone by, where... Faker, you know, broke records when he streamed on Twitch for the first time, and a lot of that was, a, you know, a Western audience, and he wasn't speaking English. He had a translator, but I really do credit these two for really transcending esports and really bringing it to a more international feel, where a lot of early esports was really nationalistic. So, 2013, not the greatest final, pretty bad final, all things considered, but an amazing story, and I don't think I'd want it any other way. I think... The, that final set up so many great things that we can talk, look back on now. So, you know, fun, fun event. Yeah, I think oh, go ahead, when I when I think of this final, I think of a lot of things. One, I actually think of how much Uzi I grew as a person following this because I think, uh, and again, he said this in interviews, so I don't feel like I'm you know dunking on him or anything by saying this, but. He, he admitted, he was like, I was kind of a brat. Like, I was not pleasant to deal with. I was not pleasant to my teammates. Um, and this is when they were kind of, uh, like, finalizing what became uh, or what they ended up calling, like, the raise the puppy strategy, where it was like, you are going to make sure that Uzi I gets to mid to late game so he can just carry you. Uh, and that was the strategy uh, behind behind Starhorn, and it became known as, that's like, this is kind of how UZI became known as this, like, very resource-hungry, uh, very uh, loud uh, bot lane voice that 
uh, he he actually did into right, and it, it started here. Um, and I think if you go back and I know he did like a really good, I want to say like hour long interview with Froskarin in 2018, if I recall, um, regarding his, uh, his own maturity and growth as a person through League of Legends. And it's really interesting to hear him talk about this final specifically and also yep. just, uh, what, what he thinks of, what he thinks of himself then and how he's grown from it as a, as a person and as a player and as a teammate. Um, so whenever I think of this final, that's actually what I, what I think of is like the proto, it's like proto Uzi. It's like, you see flashes of who he would become and he's still through this uh, to kind of the point that we've all been talking about. He gave the LPL a face um, like for, for a while when people who were watching the LPL were like, no, you need to pay attention to like OMG. You need to pay attention to Cool. You need to pay attention to WE. You need to pay attention to you know like EDG when they came up and Name. Like everyone internationally was like, yeah, but where's Uzi? Like where is he? Uh, and and you know that was a that started at the 2013 World Championship because he was the star of his team. Tyler, what's your memory? My memory takes me back to the fall of 2017. I was in Shanghai for the World Championship. I had already been there for, you know, two weeks at that time, I believe. It was awesome. It was like, oh, man, the Chinese fans are amazing. They're so, you know, into it. It's so exciting. It's awesome. It's incredible. And then RNG SKT semifinals. I were me and my colleagues Elaine and Rachel were walking to the arena, and there's just miles, miles of fans just all around the arena, and I'm like, is there some other event going on beside the League of Legends? You know, because sometimes like you know there'll be a league event and then there'll be a sporting event next to it, and it's a giant group of people. No, it was like Coachella out there, and what we learned is that they were all. Like, there was probably over a 100 scalpers, all looking and for selling tickets. Wow. Because this was the hottest ticket, not in just Shanghai. I believe it was the hottest ticket in China. There were tickets going for over $1,000 American just to get into the building to watch RNG versus SKT on that day. The semifinals to see would go to the bird's nest in Beijing. I fondly remember our press, you know, uh, coordinators at Riot basically coming up to us, all the press, and basically being like, hide your press badges. Do not show your press badges to anyone outside, because someone will steal them. And truth be told, when we left, and we would, like, go outside to, like, try to, like, because to get out from the press room into the arena, you would have to go outside, people would be running up to you and just harassing you for your press badge. It was... It was. It's nothing. Nothing like I've experienced before in in esports. I was going to ask you. You you're, you weren't one of those hundred scalpers with your media badge, were you? No, no. You could have made a really pretty penny. You would have made a lot of money that day if you wanted to sell that press badge. You would be blacklisted forever from Riot, but you probably would get a little <laughs> nice payday in Shanghai. But just the atmosphere in that arena is unmatched. It was the loudest. It was full. Eighteen thousand. No seats were were left up. All those scalp tickets were sold. People spent thousands of dollars to get into that arena to watch Faker versus Uzi one more time. It, a legendary battle. I remember it was 2-1, and RNG was one game away. One game away from Uzi finally beating Faker, 
and going to the finals where they would play Samsung, a team they had already beaten in the group stage. It was perfectly set up for Uzi to have his golden moment, and it all fell sideways, where Faker kind of 1v9'd everyone, played Galio. It was amazing. And the, the, the I will never forget the, like, it was the loudest I've ever heard at Arena, and then the, the, the RNG fans were so deflated after that match. It was, it was, it was just, from top to bottom, I will never forget that day. It just kind of showed how big esports, it, not esports, League of Legends is in China, where people are willing to sell out, shell out $1,000, $2,000 to get into Arena just to watch Uzi play Faker in that rivalry that has been going on for so many years where, it's no mistake that the one year that Uzi had his most success, 2018, where he won two LPL titles and MSI, was the one year Faker was nowhere to be seen. Not That was the year where SKT was awful and didn't make the old... It was the only year Faker has not been to a final of anything. And that was the year Uzi rose, rose to the top. So those two are always going to be discussed side to side, but that semifinal is one of the greatest bestifies of all time, greatest atmosphere of all time, and I will never forget that day. Emily, your moment is from 2018. Yeah, so um, to I'll, I'll like preface this with a little anecdote from 2017 All Stars because for people who don't know, I mentioned it previously. Uh, Uzi I had been trying to win um, a domestic title since 2013. And he, uh, as of late 2017, had still not won a domestic title. And so when the LPL All-Star team won in Los Angeles, they actually all tried to hand the trophy directly to Uzi I just so he could, like, raise the trophy. And he was like, no, no, like, please don't give this to me. Like, stop doing this to me, guys. You're embarrassing me kind of thing. Um, and they made him lift it. And then they, like, he was like, please lift this with me. Like, please stop. Um, in, in, like, a good-natured way. But he was just like, come on, you guys. Like, uh, and I always remember that when I think of him raising the trophy in 2018, because more than anything, this is such a cathartic moment for him because the narrative had always been, yeah, sure, people know, like, international fans know of Uzi I, but he's never been able to win at home. Like, never. Um, he's always had, like, either bad luck or his team, like, just, just barely loses or whatever, like, you want to say about it. He was never going to win domestically. And when he, like, the moment he was actually able to raise that LPL trophy in 2018 was such a great moment if you had been watching Uzi I throughout his career because he is just so, like, overwhelmed and happy and you can see the kind of, like, pressure or, like, whatever weight he was carrying because he hadn't won um, just kind of, like, lift off his shoulders, right? It was it is just, like, a awesome moment to watch uh for for anyone really but like especially people who had known how much he wanted to win domestically and how much it bothered him that he hadn't been able to win a domestic title um and that kind of started his near golden run of lpl spring msi asian games uh i also believe rift rivals is in their lpl summer and then Falling to G2 at the 2018 World Championship. Yeah. 
So, but I mean that that like first uh, LPL trophy lift for him uh, is just like a great, awesome moment uh, that was a real joy to watch. To be honest, I love that story about the trophy. That whenever that happens in sports, you know, you have like a famed athlete that just can't quite win the championship, Ray and Bork. they finally do. Yeah, Ray Bork is the example. Exactly the example I was going to say when he finally wins the Stanley Cup in his last year in the National Hockey League. Uh, the captain, Joe Sackett, grabs the cup, doesn't even lift it, passes it right on to Ray Bork. And it was like one of the most iconic championship moments in all of sports. So for Uzi's teammates to do that for him in that moment, I think that's like the ultimate show of respect, really. Like, I'm going to reserve my celebration because you deserve this moment a lot more than I do because you've given so much to the game. So that, well, that's, that's, that's a really cool moment. It was really funny to compare it to the LPL, like, All-Star, because, like, in that, he was super embarrassed. He was like, please stop doing this to me. But when he <laughs> when they did it to him with the LPL trophy, he was just like, yes, like, this yeah. is my moment. And he, like, sure lifts the trophy up, and it's so good. So uh, those are our moments, and feel free to flood chat with some of your favorite moments from Uzi's career. Before we move on, we're going to talk about the LCS and LEC and preview what's to come there. Uh, let's just give some final thoughts. Let's take 30 seconds, and let's just uh, give one final thought or one final anecdote about Uzi. I will go around the horn with it. Jacob, why don't we start with you? Yeah, that in 2000, the 2016 World Championship, similar to what Tyler was talking about uh, with sort of the line to get out the door, like I saw that for a Royal Never Give Up fan signing um, outside mm. that was like unofficial, and it was just like droves of people on on the streets of Chicago, and I was just like, holy crap, right? Like they, like they may not have been particularly in that era of League of Legends pre 2018, like they were not the most successful League of Legends. Uh, Chinese team. However, um, they were, at least domestically, and they were, though, uh, by far the most famous. And uh, sort of that that profile, like, no matter where you went, uh, that was clearly the case um, with him. And, and I think, like, I don't know, like, it, it's it's sort of astounding. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, we, we had, uh, obviously, last week, we had on the, the Survey Monkey um, for trivia, people said, who is the, who is the, um, Best player to never win a world championship, and it was the answer was Uzi, and I think uh, I think that's what most people would consider uh, the case around the world, uh, League of Legends fans in general. So, yeah, sad to see him go out like this, but what a career, Tyler. Faker is Goku, then Uzi would be Vegeta from my Dragon Ball fans out there, and I think it really <laughs> sums up, you know, Uzi's stories in imperf- perfection. His I think even in his greatest season ever, 2018, where he won everything, he still fell in the most, you know, awful way possible in the round of eight against G2 in a huge, one of the, the biggest upset of all time at that at that point. And I, and I think Uzi's story shows us that even in per, imperfection, it's beautiful, right? Not the Some of the best stories in sports are the ones that, don't make sense. The, the ones that aren't perfect, right? When you bring up the Tom Brady, Payne Manning scenario, even though Tom Brady has all the rings, people still probably talk about Payne Manning a lot more. And I think Uzi's showed us that you don't have to be perfect to be a top three, top two player of all time. He was going to go down as an absolute legend. And whenever they open up, whenever Riot opens up the League of Legends Hall of Fame, he's a first 
you know, first ballot Hall of Famer. He deserves a statue in whatever building that is right next to Faker because he is a true legend of the game, and he will never be forgotten, and I do hope that he returns one day. I'm going to say that I think if there's anything that kind of uh, underlined his impact for me, I'm just going to share another anecdote from 2018 Worlds where you'd have um, – a lot of fans waiting to uh, receive the buses behind Bexco Arena in Pusan. So uh, you'd have like a receiving area and the team buses would come in and fans had found out where they come in. So they were they would be waiting with signs or whatever. And the night that um, RNG lost to G2, there was this like massive group of Chinese fans that just sat there and waited for like a very dejected rng to come out and they're like all like sobbing but they're still yelling like uzi jayo rng jayo at as the players as they're getting on the bus and i think to have that kind of like fan reception and and fan like interaction it was just it was a it was a weird moment for me to be a fly on the wall but i was glad i saw it it was just it was really cool to see how supportive his fans were in that moment because, you know, on social media we tend to see the, uh, I think, the rougher side of uh, fan interaction a lot of the time. And it was just a really weirdly intimate moment between Uzi I and, like, this this very passionate group of RNG fans that really wanted to see him off despite the horrific loss, to be honest. So, yeah, that's a... That's my final Uzi I moment. And that'll be our final Uzi I moment as we take a look back at Uzi I's illustrious career in League of Legends. But that is the past, and now we look to the future. The LEC and LCS will begin their campaigns, the summer split, this weekend. Let's break down everything that has been happening in the LCS. It has been quite a transition between spring and summer a lot of teams certainly look different at the top of that list are team liquid and tsm and really our producer uh daniel j collette said it very well you can't really talk about one without talking about the other given the double lift circumstance and everything that went into it and by the way if you're looking for a conversation about our thoughts on exactly how that transfer happened and everything transpiring around it you can find a full video on that on our YouTube channel slash ESPN Esports. We appreciate you uh, following us there and finding our content there as well. But when you think about Team Liquid and think about TSM, let's talk Team Liquid first. Double Lift is gone. A fresh new start for this team. Broxa's there since the beginning. No more visa issues. Tactical is coming in. Emily, are your expectations higher based on what's happening with this team and and what the result was for them in the spring split going into summer? I mean, I don't know if they're higher, but I think it's, like, fully reasonable to expect them to be a playoff team for a few reasons. One, just that there's a ton of parity in NA, and if you recall, Team Liquid could have still technically made it to playoffs as late as, I believe, the final week and, like, the string of tiebreakers. So um, even with all of their struggles in spring, uh, of which there were many that were completely outside of team control. Uh, they were still in the running for playoffs until the final week due to how much parity is in North America. So um, in terms of my expectations, I mean, I don't think it's like unreasonable to expect this Team Liquid team to be a 
a playoff team. I feel like they have a lot of the tools talking to, I actually spoke with Broxa today and that interview will be out shortly uh, as a video interview on our YouTube channel. But it was really cool to talk to him about the fact that he has been with the team this entire time. The fact that they are looking at their post double lift identity um, and, and how they want to play. And they've been trying out a bunch of different things and they want to be a team that can like he he said this uh, to me directly. Like they want to be a team that's not that people don't think is just bot lane focused, right? Like they want to be able to spread resources. They want to be able to communicate a lot better, and they want to be able to execute a variety of of different playstyles and really find their own voice from this kind of more uh, like like passive bot lane focused style that I think people assumed Team Liquid was. Whether they were or not, I'd actually disagree to some extent that they were that all the time. I think they did try some one three one setups that didn't necessarily work. But um, regardless, I think uh, I think this new Team Liquid is really trying to find their own identity, but having like fun while doing so. If that makes sense, like I think they're really optimistic and really hopeful as a team. It seems. Yeah, I think uh, I said this in a roundtable we're going to have coming out later in the week that I wrote today. Like, I think this is a great mental reset for them, right? Like, a, a big conversation we had on this show and sort of in our other content was uh, what, you know, how much would what happened in the spring affect Team Liquid, especially as they near the second half of the season? Like, would the Broxa Visa issues and other things out of their control really weigh them down? And it sort of seemed like it did. And in the case of Double Lift, like, when you have a player who doesn't want to be there, which was pretty apparent throughout the entire spring split, if you have a player on your team that doesn't want to be there, then kind of just weighs everybody down. Can, and I, can so, I ask you a question there? Do you think that it was the entire split that he didn't want to be there, or did that come later? Like, he seemed unmotivated, but when do you think he didn't want to be with Team Liquid anymore? I I would say that was most of the split. Yeah, most of the from, split. from my understanding. Like, I think it, Tyler said this, and I, I agree based off what I've heard, like, it sounds like uh, after Worlds in 2019, end of, you know, end of the year, it seemed like going into spring, things were kind of already, like, they're a little frayed, and it just got expandably worse throughout throughout the spring. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, like, I think there was a lot of motiv- motivation. He wanted to go back to TSM and, and ultimately did. Um, but I, I think when you have a player that doesn't necessarily want to be there, um, it sort of weighs everybody down a little bit. And so I, I think now, though, with tactical, like, Tactical is is he's certainly not from a skill perspective as good as double lift right off the bat. I think that he is serviceable within this lineup that already has a bunch of other stars. And I think that uh I also think the other part of this too, right? Like he's gonna be able Tactical's gonna be able to be mentored by some really skilled veteran players like Corchege, obviously a world champion support uh in Botlane who is very happy go lucky and I think will be a good teacher in that regard. But I think Overall, right, like, this is a mental reset for them. Everybody can sort of, like, take this time to sort of start anew and kind of go through a little bit of a honeymoon phase um, in terms of, you know, we, we have a new player. Everybody is, uh, we have a new player on, on the team full-time and tactical and also, like, everything's resolved and we'll give it a shot. I think that there were generally, from what I had heard, there were a lot of tensions in T- TL in the spring, but I don't know if it was, like, players hating each other as much as just everybody frustrated with what was going on around uh, around the whole or- ordeal. Um, so I'm curious to see if that, how that will shake in the summer. Um, I, I know our chat said that Jack Etienne said that uh, Liquid was doing well in scrims um, when he appeared on the nines today. So I... Uh, yeah, I definitely think they will be a playoff team. I think that's sort of my expectation for them. 
Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Oh, no, go on. No, no, go ahead, please. No, I was just going to say that I think the thing of Team Liquid is that I don't think they ever hate each other. I don't like. I don't think Jensen or Double, if there's any rivalry there, and impact as chills can be. I think it really just came down to that this was a team built to go far. They went to MSI, they got to the finals, got stomped. So, you know, Worlds that year was kind of their makeup spot, right? They're doing well in scrims. They have great preparation. They're going in. They beat Dambo on game one. They have all this momentum, and then everything falls apart. They don't make it out of groups, and they have a lot of, you know, pride. Jensen has a lot of pride. Double has a lot of pride. These players have a lot of pride. Core JJ, world champion, very patient player, a very calm, laid-back player, but a lot of pride, and you have so much pride, and even with the four domestic titles, I think that world championship really kind of was the end of that team where they had to go to quarterfinals or farther to really, you know, to really prove why they came together in the first place. And I do think as... Jacob and Emily alluded to that this is a reset and this is good for everyone involved. I think this is great for Jensen because we've seen what Jensen can do when he's a weak side bot lane when, you know, Sneaky and Zazel and the Sneaky dudes he played with where he can now be kind of the star ace player and I really want to see that relationship with him and Broxa shine because this team is really going to come down how Broxa and Jensen can kind of coordinate as a duo. During the spring split, I'm not going to really grade them, right, because they – they had such a dysfunctional time together where, A, they had visa issues, B, they're in a goal pandemic. So I really don't want to grade them on anything this spring. So I, they're both very talented players, and I do think they'll show a better uh, uh, representation of what they can do as a duo in the summer. And I really do believe in Tactical. I talked to Tactical today. He's very excited to show what he has. He wants to play well. He wants to go to Worlds. Core JJ especially believes in him, and if Core JJ believes in him and want him to be the starter and wanted to, you know, play with a rookie, essentially, I'm going to believe in Team Liquid. I'm going to believe in Core JJ because Core JJ knows them more than all of us, more than me, more than you, more than Emily, more than everyone in chat. So if Core JJ, a world champion, one of the greatest supports of all time, believes in Tactical, I believe in Tactical. Well, uh, many people will believe in Spica as well, and actually Emily had a chance to speak with Spica. Uh, that interview is mm-hmm. now available at ESPN.com slash esports. When you look at that roster as a whole now with Spica and with Doublelift on paper, does this improve the team? Is this a championship caliber team? Can this team contend against C9? Is this team making worlds? What are your thoughts? I mean, separately, I just really want Spica to do well because I follow him since Scouting Grounds, and I always want the players that I follow in Scouting Grounds to do well because I think it, you know, it encourages maybe other people to take a look at trying to grow North American talent, and I think there's an interesting through line that you can follow from TSM being the staff and, and coaches for uh, for Spica's Scouting Grounds team to him going from Echo Fox to TSM Academy, uh, getting called up, I think, you know, before he was ready, in my opinion, um, and then going back down, playing more with the Academy team, and now starting uh, presumably his first full split as their jungler. Um, he is put in kind of a difficult position because I think given everything that happened in the offseason, given all the stuff surrounding TSM, the way they, they treated Dardock upon his departure, which I still vehemently disagree with, as, and that's like a massive understatement. Uh, people can see my feelings in prior videos on that. Um, I think uh, it it does put him in, in kind of a, a weird spotlight that I hope that he can survive. Um, and then Doublelift is obviously in a massive spotlight because I think Doublelift rejoining this team really wanted to kind of recapture 
uh, that old uh, TSM glory of 2016 slash uh, summer 2017, right? Where, like, he is on a team and he remembers how how awesome those days were and he wants to reunite with Bjergsen and he wants to be back on TSM um, after a really rough split with Liquid where he lost his motivation. Um, and I think if this TSM team does not make Worlds, then that will be a massive disappointment for them. Um, I also think if they don't contend for the LCS title, despite how good C9 has looked, um, I think that will also be a disappointment for them. Um, I think it's not a question of like whether TSM is a top contender, but the the very fact that Doublelift is going back on this roster and and trying to recapture that means that this is like, in in my opinion, they're thinking title or bust. Or if I were them, I would I would be. Yeah, I think I think that obviously they improve in bot. The jungle change is different. I had a conversation recently with Vin for something I had worked on, uh, obviously former AD carry of TSM, and he talked about how they're just so inconsistent in picking junglers. They had a lot of issues when he was on that team last year with, like, Acadian, Grig, Spica, right? Like, they kept switching, and they just couldn't make up their mind. Like, I don't know what jungler TSM needs to make this work anymore, right? Like, it's been a, it's been a long time since we saw a, a jungler work in TSM. If you think about it, every jungler who's been through that door for the longest time has gotten better when they go out of it, right? Like, think about Santorin. His best moments were post-TSM, post, post TSM, right? Like, he's probably one of the best junglers in NA on FlyQuest in a completely different environment, right? It's a hard environment to be in for a jungler, especially if you're a young one, like Spika, who has something to prove. Svenskeren is the same thing, right? He was a superstar before he got there. Since Hiram left out and became a, an MVP on Cloud9, right? Like, uh, it, it, I don't know. Like, I don't know what jungler T- would even fit in TSM. There's no, there's no one that would make. Like, I know they were like second, uh, second in bidding for. They were second in bidding for Xmithy, um, th- this past off season, and I like, I don't know if that would have fixed it or what. But it, to me, like, it's not. To me, like, I don't know what works. I, I don't think Speak is the answer. Uh, I do think they'll make Worlds, just because I think they, they're uber-talented, and I think that Doublelift and Bjergsen will get them there. I think Broken Blade also uh, doesn't get enough credit where credit's due as, as a very good and solid top laner. Um, but again, I like, I don't know. There, there's, uh, there's a bunch of, of you know, jung- junglers don't succeed inside of TSM, and I don't know what changes that. One thing I, I'll, I'll like interject really quickly because I know Tyler has to say something, but, um, I will say that, uh, the jungle changes and like recently what we've seen from junglers could technically favor TSM if you look at how they've wanted their junglers to play historically, which is a little bit slower. Um, it's a little bit more farm map control focus, particularly around Bjergsen in the mid lane. Um, and uh, we've seen a lot more kind of farm-focused picks uh, out of uh, out of junglers uh, in the in the games we have seen uh, on the recent patch thus far, um, which could technically, if you think about TSM historically, see their playstyle. I'm not saying it's necessarily going to work, but I did want to throw that out there. All I can say is I'm very excited to see Spika Sejuani. 
Pika Sejuani. Let's go. You're pumped. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I can tell in your voice. I- I've you been are. tricked too many times, Arda. <laughs> I was so all in on Mike Young. I was like, I got the. I bought so much Mike Young stock. I still have it in my apartment. It's filled with Mike Young stock. I was so ready for the high tempo jungler to take over North America. TSM Mike Young, the P1 Phenom, winning Rift Rivals in Europe. He was so uh, no. I'm done. I'm not bought no more stock of TSM junglers. No more. I'm I'm selling every single person they sign in the jungle. Never again. Never again. Where does where does uh, Spica go? Like, who? I got uh, the other question. I, I guess more generally, the other question I have is who's going to lead this team in game? Because now you have double Garrison, lift. Who's a strong Garrison leader. and double lift. Garrison no, double I mean, lift. Like, Garrison but, double lift. When push comes to shove, Garrison. like you have two Garrison. captains. Garrison. Garrison. You know what I mean? Garrison. And, Garrison. And, and will double lift accept that? Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. they played together. Like yeah. it's it's already worked. They've already worked really well together. I don't think I don't think that will be. Yeah, a, they get along. Yeah. They've never like they they butted heads in terms of like it's always a thing of like in game, right? Where it's always a thing of like when things don't go right, things go wrong. I don't. There's never anything in personal between the two, so I think they'll be fine. And I think when push comes to shove, they'll do duo shot calling in game. And if there is a decision where one person has to make it, it'll come down to Bjergsen. I I think Doublelift can you know understand that as you know P- Bjergsen is TSM. He's been there forever. All right, let's let's uh before we make our bold predictions for the LCS and we do have the LEC coming a little bit later on. Uh, let's talk about some of the other moves. One that kind of came out of left field maybe was Golden Glue being replaced on Golden Guardians for Demonte. Uh yeah, both of those Yeah, both of those are very surprising. First of all, Golden Glue leaving Gold or being benched and Demonte being the replacement. Jacob, you you have been following a lot of the Dignitas economics and everything, so maybe from that end, the Demonte part of it is not so surprising. Mm-hmm. But from the Golden Guardians end of things, why did this happen? I'm surprised, but I'm not. What I mean by that is that Demonte was going to be on Golden Guardians in the first place in the spring. He was, if you remember, he was, he had an option on his contract that Dignitas did not elect for this upcoming season because they were going to rebuild Clutch Gaming um, from scratch after they decided to trade away Vulcan and they signed Hooney to the fat deal, right? Like, very well documented by me and by others and and by this entire staff. Um, And then they, Golden Guardians wanted DeMonte before they got Golden Glue from Cloud9. And uh, what happened was that Dignitas extended him another offer to come back to Dignitas as an academy player for LCS-level salary. That's what happened. In November. And so DeMonte went back to Dignitas to play on Dignitas Academy after they had agreed to pick up Froggen and essentially was going to be making LCS level money playing in Academy. Right? So he took, he took the dig offer over Golden Guardians. It was, it was a bigger salary. Um, now obviously we've talked about it here at length, but it's true. Uh, Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, the parent company of Dignitas, the New Jersey Devils and the Philadelphia 76ers are not having a good financial time in the middle of coronavirus. Um, a lot of their profits come on the back of uh, traditional sports success. This is why we saw them cut Hooney loose. Um, they cut him. Not uh, like They technically had to trade him, technically, for visa reasons, because you can't, if he got cut, he'd get fired, then he'd lose it, and then he would go, uh, you know, he'd have to reapply in the middle of the pandemic, the USCIS, 
there's no way they would get him another uh, another visa approved in in a short period period of time. But EG is definitely not paying that 2.3 million dollar salary. Dignitas paid part of it to adjust it and let him go. Basically, the technicals is that he got traded. The way it worked is is you know they had to do what they had to do. But that there was definitely a money part of that because they were going to owe him 1.1 million dollars this year in total. They already paid close to half of that, right? By the time that that was done, so you know, like shedding that, we sort of see, like Tyler said it the other night, that they're the bargain bin. Um, they are picking up players who are relatively cheap to fill out the their ten man roster, um, which will rotate. We see Viper, see Lorlo, right? Like is going to be their that's going to be their top lane rotation, and overall, like uh, Dardock and, and Acadian. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just kind of picking up what they can pick up and not have to pay uh, a ton of money. So if you have a secondary uh, mid laner who is making LCS level money, doesn't it make sense to get rid of him? Especially if there's another team that wanted him in the first place anyway in Golden Guardians. So un- unsurprising, although I think Golden Glue kind of deserves better in the fact that like he performed yeah. well. We talked about this extensively at the free agency show the night that we found out that he got pi- or he got picked up by Golden Guardians. Uh, that this was going to be his last opportunity. And in my opinion, like, he didn't do a bad job. Golden Guardians got progressively better as the split went on, and he was a serviceable mid laner, right? Like, the only North American mid laner in the entire LCS. And, and he did well. He wasn't bad. He wasn't as much of a liability as we have seen him been through certain parts of his career. And I, like, I think he still deserves the shot. I think yeah, Tyler is jobless. Yeah, yeah, I agree with yesterday. I think I think that I think that Tyler said that like both him and Demonte deserve LCS shops, and I agree with that, right? Like I don't think this is a Golden Glue problem. I think that like Golden Guardians just wanted Demonte in the first place. Yeah, I interviewed Golden Glue yesterday during media day, and he was pretty frank and open about what happened, and he was kind of blindsided by it. He felt he played well enough to be on a team the for the next split. He made playoffs. Let's not twist the narrative here. Golden Guardians were a laughing stock. I remember during preseason, people thought they might win a game at best. They were definitely going to be 10th place. There's no way they could be above 10th place. The team made the playoffs with Golden Glue starting in mid lane, and he had the most personal MVPs on the team. He's one of the leaders of the team, and he worked you know, tirelessly to get them there, and then... At the you know at the final hour right before the summer split happens, Demonte comes in and it's not a situation where they're competing for the job. I want to make that clear. I asked Golden Glue this yesterday: Is it is it a competition? Is it like a quarterback thing where two QBs are battling during training camp to see who gets the starting spot? He basically said, "No, Demonte is the starter. He is the projected starter for summer." I am the academy player, I am back to academy, I am the secondary mid laner, and he is now working on trying to find where he can go, if he can get playing time, if he can, you know, compete for that starting job. He just wants a chance. He had the wow. chance with Golden Guardians last play. He made the playoffs, which is ridiculous to sound, right? Like, Golden Guardians with a roster that everyone laughed at, with Keith as the support you know, for half of the season, made the playoffs with Golden Glue in the mid lane, and now he's kind of out of a job, and he's looking around, he's trying to find a way where he can either compete for his job in mid lane with the Golden Guardians, or find playing time on another team, because he believes he is LCS mid-caliber, and if that doesn't work out, he's looking to go into a positional coach role, because his he does believe that his future is being a head coach, and I do think Golden Glue in the future will be an amazing head coach for the LCS, and I'm very excited to see him you know go on that journey, because I do think he will become a really, really, really strong head coach. He's a really smart guy with a really strong voice. But 
I want to see him play because he played well last play, and I think it's very, very sad that he got blindsided like this. And I, and it's very similar to Demonte, right? Like I felt bad that Demonte didn't get a start last play when he went to World and played. You know, he didn't win any games on the main stage, but he showed up in the in in the qualifiers, and he deserved a start this season. So I talked to the Golden Glue, and he did, you know, agree that. NA is very import happy. They they like imports. They like to bring in imports, and they think Actually, that import players traditionally in. They just think if Golden Glue was an import player, I wonder if he would still have his job, right? Because it feels like yeah. the North American meme of North American millionaires being so bad kind of is held against him, and I do feel bad for Golden Glue. I hope he gets a shot. If not, he'll be an amazing coach, but. It does. It does suck. It's just a. It's a really poor situation because double. Uh, no, Demonte and, and Golden Glue are both great guys, both great players, awesome personalities. I wish I could both see them play in the LCS, but it looks like Demonte will be the starter for Golden Guardians. We're up against it in time. We still have the LEC to go, so let's blaze through our bold mm-hmm. predictions here. Question number one: Who will be first at the end of the split? Easy. Uh, let's Easy. go, Tyler first. C nine. Now, don't move on. This is not. This is a joke of a question, Arda. Move on. Well, you, you've been riding the C9 train ever since spring, and you can go back to any Rift Rewind episode to hear all of Tyler's explanations. Uh, let's they go with the Jacob. Tower. They lose yeah, the tower right. for 11 points. Yes, we, we know this. We, we all know this. So you're saying it's going to happen again in the summer? Yes, C9. Okay. Easy, easy first. Jacob, do you agree? Yes. I, 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 there's nothing more to say. Yes. <laughs> okay, Jacob agrees. Emily, do you agree? Yep. <laughs> you agree as well? I'm the only one who didn't vote. Oh, wow. Wait, you didn't pick. vote for C9? Look, at, look, at, look at my pick. Look at my pick. Look at my yeah, pick. Surprise. Wow. Surprise. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm, jumping on, I'm jumping on the motivated double lift train. That's what uh, I'm all, doing. All, all right. My, all right. They'll, maybe they'll import Piosic next no, season. <laughs> yeah. when it that, work out. That, if, if that's the case, they'll win Worlds. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you why. Very quickly. Because, like you said, Bjergsen double lift played together before. We, we There's a lot of familiarity more generally between double lift and the team. However... Double lift was for whatever reason, whether it was you didn't want to play for the team after Worlds or Brox's visa issues or the pandemic or whatever it is, or it's just spring split and he doesn't care. All of that is gone now. All right. Like, obviously, we're still living in the pandemic, but all of those concerns are gone now. We know it's an online league with summer now. Double lift has a new team. All of those previous concerns that were that, that he had going into spring, they're all gone. So now he has to show up if he wants to win at Worlds, which is his ultimate goal. And a motivated double lift for me is the most dangerous player in the LCS. So for that reason, I want I will put my chips in the TSM pot and see exactly where TSM ends up at the end of the split. So, I mean, I think I think from a talent perspective, Cloud Nine. Uh, this would be the argument: Cloud Nine is better or equal at every single position as TSM. But they'll play each opinion. other. I don't know how many times, like, at least I'm twice. Saying but like, in the I'm saying like Sven, Sven is as good as Double Lift. Uh, probably the only one I think that there's any. I, I think Niski has had a better time the last, at least this past split, than, than Bjergsen did. I think that, that Blabber is miles ahead of Spica. Um, I think that Licorice and Broken Blade, oh, Licorice is better, but not like that. That's a little bit more even. I think Vulcan's a lot Ew. better than Biofrost. I actually disagree. I think very highly of Licorice, though. Yeah, Licorice I, really I'm not saying that. I, I don't think, know. I'm motivated <laughs> double lift, man. I'm I telling think, you. I, I'm, I think very highly of Broken Blade. So yeah, okay. so, we'll, it, see. Anyway. we'll see. Yeah, so we'll right. see. This is going to be a fun storyline yeah. 
Anyhow, okay, who's going to make it to Worlds? Emily, let's start with you. So I think I'm the only person who didn't pick TSM because every time I pick TSM, they always perform really badly. Um, so I just kind of picked the, the top three teams. I think the big thing I want to talk about, uh, and I'll get this over with now so I don't have to cover it later, um, but I'll be coming out with something uh, in the next few days about Evil Geniuses and how they're going to kind of opt into trying to work a seven-man roster. And um, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be really interesting to watch. And so whether EG make it, I think, is really going to depend on how well they execute that. Because otherwise, I think um, I think really highly of FlyQuest, I think they have a lot of really good pieces. I think they make a ton of mistakes. If they can just, just shore up, like, a few of them, I think they can actually distinguish themselves from the pack of NA teams. Um, and then, and then the EG pick is depending on whether they figure out their seven man roster or TSM figures out their, uh, new lineup with, with double lift returning. But I, I did pick EG over them because every time I pick TSM, they lose. All right, Jacob. Uh, so I, I did buy into the, the TSM hype a little bit, not that they would make it over C9, but that they will at least make it to Worlds, like I just said earlier. I do think that they're just, uh, talent-wise, like, Doublelift and Bjergsen can put them through some of the teams in the LCS who are less stable than C9. I don't think they beat C9. Um, I actually do think FlyQuest, uh, will be good, right? Like, I, I believe in that roster, similar to how, like, Clutch Gaming qualified for Worlds last year. Um, in the sense that, like, this is a good roster overall. They performed well. I do think they were a clear-cut second best. Um, I think Evil Genius is... I'm a little bit more down on the seven-man roster than Emily is as of right now. Um, I... I don't know. Like, I, I... You sacrifice a lot in taking Bang out and putting Deathly in, uh, in, in, you know, so you can upgrade in top with... Or arguably upgrade depending on how he actually plays, whether he's Huni of old or Huni of current. Um, in terms of Huni over Kumo, right? Like, I don't know. Uh, I am inclined to believe that EG will not be able to hold hold that together in in the same way, and that they're probably going to have to land somewhere else. And and to me, like, because Huni signed a deal that lasts through 2021, this is just like a kick kick the can down the road and be a really good team in 2021 when he is a resident and they can play him, Bang, and and Jizuke all on the same team. Trophy's a free agent. Who knows? Maybe he'll take the bag this time. Maybe. Tyler, what are your picks? Uh, I think that the world's qualification is so wide open where it's the top eight teams qualifying into a tournament structure, and then you kind of decide from there. So I'm going to take the teams that I think are most talented, and I think that will work it out by the end of the split. So C9 is very easy. They should finish number one. They should win their second title in a row. Uh, I do believe in Team Liquid. I'm the only one who believes in Team Liquid, I believe. Uh, give me Broxa, give me Tactical. I think this is going to be a resurgence for Jensen. Watch Jensen's split. I think he's going to be very high up there in the MVP vote. I think this is a split where he's really going to pop off. I do think Tactical is really, really good. I want to see him succeed as a blue chip prospect in an A because we don't have many of those. Blabber showed us that it can be done where a blue chip prospect 
you know, matures into an MVP. So I want to see the same thing with Tactical. And I'm going to go with TSM. I know they're going to bite me. I know this is going to bite me in a few weeks. I know it's going to be, it's going to blow up and Speak is going to play Sejuani 12 games in a row and Doublelift's going to leave and join FlyQuest or EG or something's going to happen. <laughs> and it's going to be a total drama fest and everyone's going to laugh at me for believing TSM. But I don't believe in TSM junglers, but I do believe in the pairing of Doublelift and Bjergsen. I don't know how far they can go at Worlds. They probably get, you know, destroyed at Worlds, especially if the four Chinese and four European teams are now going to the World Championship. But I do think they have enough talent to make it there. And it's not going to be pretty when they get there, probably, unless they, you know, Speaker really shows up and they do change their style and Dublift really does come alive. But I do think they have enough talent to get there. It's a very uh, messy field outside of Cloud9. I do think there's five or six teams that could go to Worlds, but I'm going to go with the talent route. I'm going to go TLTSMC9. All I want is when Doublelift, if and when Doublelift changes teams again, I want him to throw all of his past team's jerseys in the garbage in succession. That's what I want. Like, here's the TSM. Here's the uh, Team Liquid. I just want them all one by one just to complete the meme. It's like almost like a roundabout kind of way. I had the exact same teams, Tyler. I picked the three teams. I picked C9, TSM, and Team Liquid. I agree with everything you said there. I think that TSM is going to click a lot better than some people might think. I saw in the chat that Bjergsen and Doublelift are washed up. I disagree. I think that Bjergsen really came alive at many parts in the split and carried TSM on his back when he needed to. And now that he's going to be able to distribute that to guys like Doublelift, I think that a motivated Doublelift, like I said, is the most... uh is the scariest prospect in the LCS in history does dictate that. So for those reasons, I picked the three teams as well because C9 is, you would not bet against C9 no. in, in this situation, especially to make Worlds. Who will be crowned MVP, Emily? I went with Licorice. I think this is Licorice's time, and if C9 is winning, I think more people need to log into that purview and watch Licorice because he's really smart about his leaning and... I know uh, it's been brought up on broadcast a few times, but he loses so gracefully that you don't even realize what's happening, um, which is probably why he doesn't get credit for it. Um, I was on the, like, Niski uh, MVP train, and he was my MVP, my personal MVP pick for spring. Um, if he wins it in summer, I'll be super happy as well, because I think Niski is a really strong player, and I think he does so much for his junglers, actually. Um, but Licorice does so much for this team overall as well, and I think a lot of it goes unnoticed, and I want it to be noticed. Tyler. I, I, I agree with points of Emily, but I want to say, like, I guarantee if C9 finishes in first and they win war, like they win the championship or whatever, if they finish first, Niski's going to win MVP because he has the narrative going for him. And we know narrative can push MVP awards. Because I think everyone's looking at, oh, Svenskeren got his MVP. Maybe that was Niski. Niski did a lot of, you know, he enhanced Svenskeren. Oh, Blabber won. Niski enhanced Blabber. I think the narrative is if C9 does once again get first place, I do think everyone's going to look at Niski and be like, wow, this guy has really brought this team to another level with the way he's playing, and I think they're going to reward him for that. So I do believe that if C9 does, if anyone from C9 is winning this award, it's going to be Niski, because I think the narrative is full behind him, unless, you know, a, even, I think Licorice or Sven or, or Vulcan would have to have a just an amazing split, it's an incredible all-time split to beat out Niski, because he has all that momentum, and he does have his last two junglers winning MVP, so I do think if C9 finishes first, Niski will be our MVP. Jacob? 
I picked Bisky also, and uh, the reason so, like, I think Spring should have been his. No offense to Blabber. Blabber had every player on Cloud9 had a really good, incredible split, right? Like, the thing about Spin and sort of his, like, hot streak at the very beginning of the season, he didn't die until, like, I think, like, game six or game seven, right? Like, he, he had quite, quite a lot going for him. All those players did. Um, but I think, like, Nisky probably should have won in the spring, and I think he certainly will in the summer. I, th- I think a lot of people are going to be looking at him, all eyes on him, uh, and I, I think if spring is any indication, he will have uh, one hell of a split. Uh, I would have agreed normally, but I did not pick Cloud9 to win the summer split. I picked TSM, and for that reason, here is my MVP. And you can feel free to debate me on whether I am right or wrong. Congratulations, Peter. You did it. You're the man. You are, you are, you are, you are top of the world mm. and taking your team like to the pushing like a very specific angle here. Uh, hmm. It just looks good. It just looks good. Uh, Split MVP double lift. The face of the LCS for how many? That's exactly I mean, I'm, that's I'm not ruling it out. Like, my it point happen. is, my point is, I picked TSM to come first in the summer split. Whether you agree with that, doesn't matter. Whether you think double lift is washed up, doesn't matter. I'm going to go back to my point. A motivated double lift is a very, very scary prospect. And if TSM come in first, no doubt in my mind that double lift is going to be the reason for that. He's going to be one of the major, if not the biggest contributor to that to that pot. And that's why I picked double lift. And also so that I could troll the chat. Okay, let's do this. Uh, we have a couple more. Uh, we are running up against time here. So what we're going to do is we're going to zoom through these as fast as we can. Biggest disappointments. Tyler, start with you. Immortals, they've hit their ceiling. Not much improvement left. That's it. Move on. Boring, boring answer. Boring team. Let's move on. Next answer. Next um, I mean, I feel, I feel like you can't be a disappointment and nobody expected anything from you in the first place. They spent, but, uh, <laughs> they spent a lot of money on Nick Smithy, so it's a disappointment. And they do have a lot. Of, they do have talented players like Soaz and Nick Smithy. I just don't think there's anywhere else they can go ceiling wise unless they make moves. Which I believe Nick Smithy did say in a media day interview that there would be moves coming, but I just don't see a way where they're going to be that much here's, of a surprise. Here's some about. here's some press reporting uh, from, mm. from yours truly. Uh, mm. I, don't, I don't think there will necessarily be changes. I think that they will be using academy players rotationally. That that's the there's just yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's big player changes though coming for Immortals. Okay, more um, breaking news, Jacob. What's your biggest disappointment? Uh that would be evil geniuses. Uh hmm. as I alluded to earlier, I I think a lot of people are gonna expect a lot out of them. Uh acquiring Hooney's a huge deal, but I don't think again, I don't think the trade off is worth it taking putting Hooney in and putting Defley in instead of Bang, uh and playing Kumo. I I just I get that that's what they're trying to do, but I think the, again, the way I took biggest disappointment was taking, uh, sort of the expectation other people have for them versus how they will actually perform. And I think Evil Geniuses will perform worse than people expected them given their big, uh, midseason acquisition of Hooney. Yeah, do we call them Evil Hooniuses now, or is it Hooney Geniuses? What are we calling them? Hoa Hoa. Mm. <laughs> Emily? Uh, so I similarly took biggest disappointment, you know, in the same way that Jacob did. Um, and that's why I picked TSM because I think TSM have put them in a position, themselves in a position with the double lift acquisition that they really need to basically like be a finalist and or win a title. And if that doesn't happen, then I think they will have considered this acquisition, especially with all of the stuff that followed. Um, 
a disappointment. Like, and, and that is because I, again, I think they've just put themselves in a position where the expectations are really high. Like this has to pay off. Um, and if it doesn't in the form of like, at least being a finalist, if not winning a title, um, or like you have to qualify for the world championship, basically, uh, they will, they will then be the biggest disappointment. My biggest disappointment is Dignitas. I think that extends to the spring as well. They had high hopes with that Huni signing and everyone at this point. I mean, that looks like one of the most lopsided contracts in League of Legends history, if not the most lopsided at this point, just given the results that were yielded from that contract. And now they basically have to rebuild from the ground up, looking for diamonds in the rough, if they can even find it at this point. So it's going to be a very rough summer. Hopefully for them, they'll be able to, the players that they bring on, at least have some sort of respect showing but for now at least today on paper for me it's dignitas as the disappointment the nas category is biggest surprise slash dark horse let's start with tyler tactical tl i believe in them tactical will finish top three all pro ad carry the split guaranteed no way he's not top three that's my bold prediction hey last time you bet on a young yeah last time you bet bet on a young ad carry north american ad carry you uh you owe obviously made some time to dye your hair now so uh it was very close it was really close for mvp this is summer. I'm on the tactical train, baby. Choo choo. Top 380 carry. Here we come. Okay, here. How about this? Uh, will tactical be the MVP? And if he isn't, will you shave your head? No. I will. I will. I'll make. I'll, I'll make this. Man. I'll make this. Man. Who cares? Who cares? I'm a wild guy. If tactical doesn't make top 380 carries in the pro ballot, so all all LCS okay. top three. Okay. If he doesn't make at least the third team, I will get. During the World Championships, during the World Championships, I will get an esports-related tattoo on my arm. You already have an esports-related tattoo. You also on your already arm. tweeted that you wanted to do that. Yeah. What kind of bet is that? Oh boy! Y'all make me do this thing that I said publicly I want to do already. Uh... Let's let's move on. Tactical top three. The tactical train is a chugging. Just just wait a few more weeks. You'll see. Jacob. I'm I'm betting on tactical. Not that much. I'm not shaving my head. I'm not. No, nothing. I'm not. I'm not saying he'll be top three pro, but I think that Liquid actually will. I think a lot of people are going to be down on Liquid because of how they performed in in the spring. I think Liquid will be a playoff team. I don't think they'll qualify for Worlds, but I think they'll be pretty close. You could see them uh, regaining their fourth-place spirit uh, as as previous uh, before. But, yeah, I, I think Liquid will actually be pretty good relative to what people may think they will be. Emily? Um, so I picked Evil Geniuses with the provision that their seven-man roster actually works out. Uh, I think seven-man rosters are actually really tricky to execute uh, because I think you have to have, like, a really strong internal uh, discussions like pretty consistently to make sure that people understand that they're not necessarily being subbed up for performance reasons, but sometimes it's meta reasons. Sometimes it's play style reasons, that kind of thing. Um, so while I think that's incredibly difficult and while I don't necessarily trust that EG will be able to do it, I think if they can figure it out, then they will be a very interesting dark horse to watch. 
I actually also picked Evil Geniuses, and my provision is that we see the Evil Geniuses from last March, where they went on an absolute tear, and Jizuke was the Italian stallion, and that really propelled them to make the playoffs. If we see that version of Evil Geniuses, I do think that they will surprise a lot of teams in the LCS, and they will become playoff contenders. So that was my provision as it pertains to Evil Geniuses. So normally, this would be our time. We haven't even uh, touched the LEC yet, so how about we do this? Um, let's go through our bold predictions for the LEC, uh, and let's try and get through them as quickly as we can. Oh. Uh, we know that, obviously, uh, Fnatic, G2, G2 with the role swap, there's a lot to unpack there. Hopefully we can get at least a little bit of those conversations as we talk about our bold predictions. So let's start with Tyler. Tyler, who will be first at the end of the LEC split? G2, move on. There's no, there's not even a, a conversation. You don't even care. Roll swap. It's even better. It's, Things are yeah, just going to end up being. Yeah, did did everybody there. pick G2? Did everybody pick G2? Yeah, of course we did. We're if, not, you're not, if you're not uh, picking G2, you're inting. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. let's. We can move on. Okay. Everybody, everybody <laughs> picks G2. All I need to say there is, is Perks is a better AD carry than Caps. Yeah. And Caps <laughs> is a good mid and, and Caps is a good midliner. Yeah, Caps is a world class midliner, so. So there you go. There it's going to be even better. Who's going to make Worlds? Pick your four teams to make Worlds, Tyler. All right. I have G2. I have Fnatic. I think those everyone can agree on. I have Mad Lions, who I was very impressed by during the spring split. And my fourth pick might be a controversial one, but I've been on their bandwagon the entire year, and I'm not giving up on them just yet. I have Rogue coming in in fourth. They're going to slide in. They're going to sneak in, and Rogue will make it to Worlds, and we will see the Rogue-TSM matchup that we've been waiting for. It must happen. Rogue versus TSM must happen at Worlds, so Rogue will make it to the World Championships in China. Okay, interesting pick there with Rogue. Jacob, what do you think? I'm going the same. I, uh, I, think, I think Mad Lions is... I thought about this actually long and hard while we were, we were picking this. I, you know, because I think a lot of people do believe in Origin, and I think they're a bad team. Uh, or I think they're a good team, sorry. But I don't think that they pull through when it matters most, and I don't see a world where they place high enough to qualify on championship points, and I don't see a world where they also win a gauntlet. So, with that said... Uh, I I think that Origin uh, will not be able to make it. I think that Rogue has a better shot. Did you pick the exact same way, Emily? No, I picked uh, G2, Fnatic, Origin, and Mad Lions. I'm actually really sad we don't have more time to talk about LEC because I have a lot of things to say about these teams, but I'll just say um, I really I really like Mad Lions. I think they can improve on a lot of things that we already saw from them in spring. Um, to become one of the four teams that qualify. As we already talked about, G2 Fnatic, I think, are almost locks. Um, and then Origin, I I think they are a good team, and I think they're, like, I, I actually think they're more consistent than anyone else, like, vying for that position. So while I don't think that they are necessarily the sexiest pick, I still think that they will be representing uh, Europe at the World Championship. So we are exactly split evenly. Jacob and Tyler had the oh, same so you four also picks. Picked Origin. Emily and I had the exact four picks. Exactly. Origin might be a boring team, but they're but boredom doesn't matter when it pertains to success, uh, as many previous championships have taught us. So yes, I mean, I, these I, are my I, picks. Go I mean, my, maybe maybe hot potentially hot take here, but like I don't think Nuke Duck is is capable of of qualifying for worlds anymore 
Wow. Look at you pulling a double lift in the LEC. Wow. Dog season three. That was a great. Wow. Don't let don't let uh, Yamato hear that. Seven years ago. Um, can't get there zero. I don't think My he's a bad. I don't think he's a bad player, but like, I'm just unimpressed. And I also think Destiny's a liability uh, when it comes to pedal to the metal. So like, I don't know. I have as much faith as Origin as some of the other people here. Who will be crowned MVP? Emily, let's start with you. I think it's going to be the man in the mid lane, Caps. Um, there are a few reasons for this, not only just because Caps is a world-class bid later, which we've obviously talked about, uh, and, and Perk swapping back, but I think because, like, we've talked about how narratives drive MVPs, right? Um, and despite the fact that, obviously, you'd think, like, Perks. Perks is the staple of this team. He does so much that we don't see, honestly. Like, every time I talk to Grabs and Duffman, they're always like, Luca is insane. Like, and what he brings to this team is insane. Like, if if there was, like, actual true MVP voting, it would be perks, like, every single split. Um, but I think because we haven't seen Caps in the mid lane for a while, he's going to come back. He's going to be amazing, like he usually is. And people are going to be like, wow, we really missed seeing Caps in the mid lane. Um, we're, we, like, like, we missed this. We want to see more of it. Um, I think he's going to do really, really well. I think G2 is going to do really, really well. And, yeah, picking caps. Nice. How about you, Jacob? I'm going to pick perks. And I say that I actually agree with Emily's uh, narrative strives MVP voting. I think if you're able to swap back again and still be one of the best AD carries in all of the region, the people are going to be very high on, on what you're putting out there. So I think that a lot of people are going to be high on, on Perk's fumes. And I think that that will be why he, he will win uh, the MVP. Cause I, I like, I think he's a fantastic AD carry in his own right. Uh, when he's, when he played that position last year, one of the best in the region in a region that has very good AD carries like reckless. Um, and I, I think that he'll be in that conversation again. And I think G2 will be a successful team, which will earn him those rights. Tyler? I think it's Perks. He deserves an MVP. He maybe should have gone in that last split. Yankos was amazing, so no shame to Yankos. He deserved that. But I think the narrative, like, I mean, I, I disagree with Emily, but I do think the narrative is on Perks' side, right, where he's the one being selfless by going back to AD carry. He was amazing as a mid laner. There was no reason why he had to. It was Caps who was kind of the one who was, you know, Slow on the draw, so to speak, when it comes when it came to being the AD carry. So if Perk switches back as the captain, being selfless once again, and G two once again is at top of the table, and everyone's looking around and saying, "Wow, look at G two! How have they been so consistent for so long?" The only answer you can say is Perks, because at every turn he has been selfless and the true leader of this team, and he deserves an MVP. So if, when they get first again, I think people will actually, for once. Finally vote for him because him switching back after having an amazing mid lane split in the spring really shows his versatility and just how selfless of a guy he is where when it push came to shove, he would rather give up personal success by being mm-hmm. the mid lane star by going back to AD carry and letting Caps have that role where he's better at, where Caps and AD carry wasn't doing amazingly. So I just think it has to be perks. It has to be perks to split if G2 is number one in after the end of this, uh, at the end of this uh, summer split in terms of the regular season standings. Just so has I, to be. 
So I pitched both of them co-winning at the same time, and I was told I wasn't allowed to do that. No. So I, I picked Perks only because of that narrative, as everyone described. However, I would say that I think Caps will have more success in the role and has had historically more success. Two-time MVP in mid, four times first team uh, and, and Perks has had success in mid and 80 carry, but has not won that elusive MVP title. So from a narrative perspective, from a storyline, I agree, Tyler, that I think that it would just be too irresistible yeah. not to vote for him from the sentimental vote perspective and not the necessarily result. the actual results, unless Caps plays out of his mind and yeah, has like a 35, yeah. yeah, like a 35 KDA to end yeah. the split or something. And it's like absolutely undeniable that he must be selected. Then from the sentimental vote, I would say, yeah, perks for sure. And this is all contingent on, of course, G2 winning the split, which we all agree uh, will happen. Who will be the biggest or sorry, we already actually we already said that. Who's going to be the biggest disappointment? Let's start with Emily. So people are going to be like, but Emily, you picked Origin to go represent uh, Europe as a uh, world team. What? And that's true. But uh, I'm also picking Origin because of a lot of the things we said at the beginning of the split. Origin, we're betting on trying to, because as we talked about, everyone's trying to take down G2, right? They're very obviously the best team in Europe. Um, everyone's kind of going about it different ways. You have, like, the Mad Lions who are really betting on a lot of their young and upcoming talent to make this, like, super dangerous team. And then you have someone like Origin who is looking at bringing in established players, trying to form, like, I don't want to say a super team, but just, like, a, a team of, like, well-known performers right outside of destiny um who's who's kind of the the one that doesn't necessarily fit into that narrative here um but i think that again because of this because of their roster building strategy i think that anything that's not a title is a disappointment it's kind of similar to how i took the tsm thing i think that origin placed a lot of really large expectations on themselves and they didn't even manage to come in second in spring uh that was fanatic and I think, you know, I think that if they don't at least make finals, if not, like, win outright, then that is technically a disappointment for this lineup. And you can argue with my definition of disappointment, but that's where uh, it's coming from. Jacob? Going with the same. Um, oh, less wow. because Less because I think that uh, it's finals or bust for them, as Emily just described, more so just because I think the expectation for them is really, really high. I don't know what people see in Origin long term, right? Like, I agree with Tom Shu in our chat that this is a low ceiling team, right? Like, they're like a fourth, third, fourth, fifth place team, and I don't think they're capable of being better than that when it comes to like Gauntlet and everything else, right? Like, they aren't better than Fnatic, clearly. I think by the end of the summer, they won't be better than Mad. Mad Lions is, has a higher ceiling, and they're ascending, right? Like, they were really hot at the end of, of the LEC spring. I think Rogue needs to shore up some things, but I actually think they haven't reached their potential either. I think Origin has, and I think that there are going to need to be changes support among them. Sorry, Destiny. Um, we gave you your opportunity to uh, to show yourself, and lackluster, in my opinion, but, like, I'd like to also see a mid late change. I, I, I think Alfari and Zersei and, and Upset are good. I don't know if they're necessarily all good together, um, but I think they're a good team. I would rather see them with a new mid laner and a new support. Tyler. 
Uh, let's go three in a row. I also picked Origin, obviously. Holy since I, moly. Yeah, I mean, if I pick Mad Lions and Rogue to make it out, I mean, this team has Alfari, Upset. This is a team with some superstar players, and not making Worlds would be a giant disappointment, and I don't think they're going to make it. I think that, yes, they're more consistent than a Rogue or a Mad Lions, but I also think the ceiling for those two teams are much higher, and I think in a win-or-die scenario where every th- we have you know three months of training, practicing, and just having a chance. If I'm doing a best of five to see who's going to Worlds, I'm going to pick the team with the higher ceiling. So I think a Rogue or Mad Lions, I'm going to pick them over Origin. Again, that would be a very big disappointment. Right now, I'm just kind of worrying. Like, you know, you have Astralis not doing the best, having a lot of, you know, burnout issues over in Counter-Strike. Origin, obviously, under the same umbrella, not the same name, but the same organization. So this is a big spot for them. Origin has to do well, because Astralis... Not looking too hot, you know, having two of their star players sitting out. And Origin, you know, big mo- big money was thrown into this team. Everyone wanted upset. NA, Europe, everyone was looking at upset as a player that they really wanted. Origin got him. He was that, you know, golden goose. And if they can't go to Worlds with upset, even though he's playing really well, it's going to be a really, mm, a really, really big disappointment for Origin. And I do think that's going to happen. So they have to be my pick for my pick, my pick for biggest disappointment prediction. So I took a little bit of a different approach. You're going to see teams on screen for my biggest disappointment, but mine is more general than those three teams. What I picked was the standings and the league itself. I have to be honest. I'm not too jazzed as a fan to watch the LEC this split, only because I think the standings will look pretty much the same. I think that the top teams are going to remain at the top. We might see some movement from a team like Schalke. But other than that, there hasn't been much movement. And I honestly am not as excited as I was last split. Why are you shaking your head, Emily? Wow. I'm just so disappointed in you. I'm so excited to watch LEC. No, I'm not, I ex- love... I'm not excited. I'm not as excited as I was in the spring. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not see, pumped like, at all. I don't, I don't care about standings. I love when teams have our, and or are finding like their own definitive play styles, which is probably a holdover from LPL, where I think LPL teams do that sometimes to a fault. Um, but I think all of the teams that we're kind of expecting to be in the top of LEC have really different approaches to the game. And I always think that's awesome to watch watch regardless of what the standings look like you're so yeah. wrong i yeah. disagree with you so much on this. I, I think i think yeah. i actually think S- so i don't think they're going to be good this is not me endorsing their skill i think sk is going to be actually really interesting to watch because they had a mid laner swap to top lane and a top laner swap to mid laner so i'm like the hell is this going to be right like this is like the like budget perks cap swap uh for me <laughs> and <laughs> I like. I'm really curious what that looks like. They have a new coach in Jesus returning to the team, and I think you are. And I'm sure we're about to talk about this, but I think you're very wrong about Schalke. Uh, I think Schalke actually, with all the changes uh, that they announced, Nukes uh, being being the starter for the, and support, and uh, finally setting settling on Laro uh, as their uh, jungler. Like, I think things can kind of only go up from from here for for Schalke, and and Inax showed some moments of brilliance. Uh, in, in the spring, so I'm kind of, I'm excited to watch Schalke, even if they're not the best team in the league. Well, I hope you're alright, because I have to watch a lot more LEC this split than I did last split, and I was enjoying watching those games, I'm gonna be watching a lot more of them now, and I'm kinda like, ah, this is gonna be the same, like, it's gonna be, it's gonna be the same storylines and the same things we talk about from the spring split, and I hope there's variety, because the LCS has variety, and I know you're shaking your head, Emily, but I want variety. You like trash television. Are the you? LCS is like 
No team has an identity except for oh, has a great right. story. That's great except drama. I want to see them find their identity. Oh my god. <laughs> FlyQuest, arguably, like, evil geniuses, and then C9, obviously. Yeah, but, like, you know. ah, oh, my God, they disagree so much. C9 has an identity, too. It's not a great one, but they do have a playstyle identity that's been very consistent throughout the last five years. Arda, Arda's just I telling mean, us he likes dumpster fires. That's it. Yeah, he oh, loves dumpster fires. Arda would rather watch trashed, like, reality TV than watch, like, a good, you know, documentary. I think that's what he's telling I mean, us with this. I mean, we, we, literally, we literally had an entire conversation about pro wrestling in in uh, the pre-production of this of this call, so I mean, at, at that point, I think we all like trash reality TV. But nonetheless, uh, that, that's okay. That is backing you up. That is backing you up. Yeah. Anyway, LEC, you better entertain me because right now you're not off to a great start. So entertain me, LEC. Okay, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Perks and caps, you better be playing for me and me specifically for my entertainment. All right. That's what matters. All right. Last one. Me. Biggest surprise in Dark Horse. Go, uh, Jacob, first. Oh, I am first. Uh, my biggest surprise is Shalka. I am excited. Like I said, I think that, that people think they're going to be a dumpster, and maybe they start off like a dumpster, but I think that they will uh, slowly bloom into something. I could see a world where Shalka is sixth. I think that there are other teams in that conversation, like Misfits, uh, who deserves deserve some of that talk? I think that Shalka will be better than SK. I think they will be better than Vitality. And then, like you know, it's kind of there's that like middle of the pack of where they would shake. But there's a world where Shalka could be a sixth place qualifying playoff team, right? Like it's not impossible for me to think. I think just sort of that narrative and sort of seeing where this set of young players shakes out. Like I'm interested to sort of see where they where they stand. But I'm I'm excited for some Shalka games. Cool, Emily. Funny you should say Misfits, because they're actually my pick. Um, talking to Kabe in the offseason and also looking at this lineup, I'm actually really excited to see Misfits, because I think, again, this is a team that showed uh, some, like, flashes of promise before kind of, like, crashing back down to earth. I think the addition of Kabe is really good. I like the mix of veteran players and um, newer players to the LEC. Um and I think it, there is a world where, you know, Kabe and, and Febivin can continue to improve on what Misfits did in spring with Dan Dan, uh, Razark, and Denik. And I think this has the potential to be a really interesting and really dangerous team. Tyler. For me, it's Schalke, and I think it's a lot of what Jacob said. They're a lot more interesting now with the the changes and kind of the confirmer the con- the confirmation of the players that they want to go forward with nukes in the support role. And I also want to say, Forgiving's still on the roster, so it's always oh, God. It, forgiving in the background. He's he's lingering there. You know his Twitter fingers are ready. He's ready. He's watching Uzi retire. He's you know a, a tear rolling down his eye to see his CS you know. Battling brother retire. For, I don't think the last we've heard of forgive. Oh, I'm not saying I'm not saying forgive. I'm not saying forgive my play, but it's not the last we've heard of forgive this play. I, I can see I can see a team taking a chance on him, but I don't see a world where Shaka is that team unless you just want to torch the entire development you are trying to build right now. Um, but maybe if you're SK Gaming or Vitality, you just throw a hail mary and hope it works. Well, oh, actually, we I, take that back. I take that back because I actually do think comp is a good player so don't take that chance vitality sk do whatever the hell you want at this point thank you 
My biggest surprise, Dark Horse, uh, is that the LEC is going to be boring this split. I'm just kidding. We already went through that. I'm just kidding, people. I'm just kidding. Uh, Mad Lions. And what I say, what I mean by this is I think they could actually compete. Uh, in the top two. They can knock on the door for G2 and Fnatic. I'd like to see they them do that. Did. They were fourth. <laughs> yeah, they were fourth this last split. They've defeated G2 in the playoffs in the winner's bracket. So they've shown that they have it in them. And I like that. I, I, I like the vibe of the team. I like listening to their comms. They seem very they happy. They seem like they're all very good friends. So I feel like that, like, we, I know identity is, uh, chat's flaming me for the identity thing. But Mad Ooh. Lions know who they are. Mad Lions are a team that uh, they perform very well, but also they perform cohesively as a unit. So I wonder whether they will knock on the door uh, or at some point in this totally season, possible. whether they will uh, lead the league I at least for some Lions. period of time. So we'll see. Yeah, high, ce- high ceiling, uh, good coaching staff, good infrastructure. I Yeah, I think I think that there's a lot going for them. Yeah. All right, uh, that will wrap things up for us. Uh, we went a little long on this Rift Rewind, but that is totally okay. By the way, a quick announcement. If you are watching us on Twitch or on YouTube, ESPN app, Twitter, you can continue to do that every single week for the Rift Rewind every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. But we are adding a platform. Starting this week, you can also find us in podcast form. Wherever you get your podcast, the Rift Rewind will be available as a podcast. So if you miss the show or you want to find it or you want to listen to it on your way to work or while studying or whatever you want to do, you can listen to us wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, whatever it is, we will be there in podcast form. Huge news for us because now ESPN Esports once again returning to the world of podcasts uh, and we couldn't be more excited. This Hopefully is great. we will I think not I- be the worst performing podcast in ESPN again. I think, uh, well, thanks, Emily, for, uh, flaming, <laughs> flaming me hardcore. As, no as, idea. As, great. <laughs> flaming me, flaming, flaming me hardcore is the only I person still wow. to you and Rachel every week, and I liked it, and I'm sad oh, so when I, when I found that out. Like, if you would, uh, <laughs> If you would like to find this podcast, I Emily doesn't just, like you, Jacob. Uh, Let's uh, yeah. just put, put that out there. I Clearly. just kind of listened to every episode, <laughs> and I was on several of them. So, uh, if you would like to find this podcast, I believe it will all be under the ESPN Esports feed if you search it in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you find them, uh, rather than specifically Riff Rewind. Uh, and there's a bunch of archival episodes of, of me and Rachel and Christina back in the day, so you can go back and listen to crazy weird predictions about things that some happened and some didn't so uh it, yeah all all there a big library so that's uh that's our big announcement uh you uh we have content every single week every single day i should say pretty much here live on our twitch channel so please feel free to follow us if you like all esports valorant call of duty league the lpl emily has a show on fridays and we do have trivia on friday nights as well uh, and we're gonna get you set every single tuesday here on rift rewind for the uh, all the leagues that are playing here in League of Legends. So for now, though, we got to go. We are well past our time. Thank you very much for sticking with us. 